Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. You're here today with Kara Williard, and you can check out all the other stuff we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Well, I am back today with Kai Paul Kanan from our Blister recommended shop, Pulse Boot Labs. And as always, Kai provides a lot of insight, both on the exciting world of boot tech within the ski industry, as well as all the new technology that he and the team at Pulse are utilizing and developing that extends beyond the world of ski boots. In case you missed it, I highly recommend that you go back to episode 217, which is where I got to talk to Kai during our very deep dive on boot fitting series here on Gear 30. And in that episode, Kai laid out some of the intricacies and factors related to stance balancing in a ski boot. It's definitely an interesting conversation. But back today, Kai is full of both science and wisdom, and he provides some important insight on aspects of boot fitting. And it's super interesting to catch up with him and hear all about what he and the team at Pulse have been up to in the last few months, including opening a brand new shop up in Collingwood. But before we get going, it is timely to mention that our Blister Summit is only one and a half weeks away, and we really couldn't be more excited to convene with all of you here in Mount Crest Butte. In the month of January, Mount Crest Butte received over 100 inches of snow, and the mountain is in awesome condition for the event. It is definitely not too late to sign up. Registration includes four days of on-snow demos from both ski and snowboard brands, over 30 of them. It also includes nightly opera and excellent conversations during our panel sessions, which will include conversations from industry leaders, professional athletes, and more. There will also be free morning yoga sessions, goodies for everyone, and you can partake in morning uphill sessions on the resort or perhaps opt for some guided backcountry tours. It's going to be an amazing time and I hope to see you there. And with that, let's get right into my conversation with Kai at Pulse. All right. Well, I am back here today on Gear 30 with Kai Paul Kanan, and we are here to discuss the new season going on over at Pulse and some of the new and exciting initiatives they have going on. So thanks so much for joining us today, Kai. I know it's been a busy season for you guys. How's it going up there in uh, in your neck of the woods? It's uh, it's fantastic. Thanks. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I know we spoke in October and I feel like a lot has changed since then. And of course, now we are in the heart of ski season. So I'm really curious to hear. I know you guys opened up a new shop in Collingwood, and it seems like that's kind of where you've been spending the winter. So let's just dive right into it. How is the new shop going, and uh, what has that process looked like for you guys? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a full whirlwind. Uh, we took the lease on uh, September September 1st, and we knew we wanted to get open for November. So that was that was a push to get everything done and sorted and and you know the guys in Revy were uh incredibly helpful we had one of the guys fly over and uh help us out on the build and and the put together and then receiving inventory and staffing but um straight out of the gate it's uh been incredibly well received that's awesome and i guess just give kind of the lay of the land i know you know you have your shop in Revelstoke and Bamp correct Correct. And so now you're over in Collingwood. And so um, kind of why was that the location that was cho- chosen? And how has it kind of differed maybe from some of the other shops? Uh, the dynamic is pretty different. Um, a lot of people kind of looked at me and kind of went, why Collingwood? That seems a little bit strange when you have a couple of locations in kind of big mountain or bigger mountain environment. And we know our demographic is uh, essentially skiers that care, you know, and, and for the most part, it's skiers that are uh, in boots or on snow 25, 25 plus days a year. And usually people, uh, usually people that are traveling. So Collingwood, although, although it wouldn't be, would be far from kind of a, a big mountain environment by all means, uh, the, there's just an absolutely huge population of, of passionate skiers here, uh, from kind of Toronto area and Collingwood's unique in that there's, uh, five, I think five private clubs. And a lot of these private clubs, these, these folks are skiing, you know, 50 to a hundred days a year. They're traveling. And we were seeing a lot of them in Revelstoke and Banff. 
Um, I grew up skiing on the escarpment. Everyone calls it the escarpment. It's basically just a big, long, well, I'm not going to call it a lump. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's, I grew up skiing here. And so I was pretty familiar with the environment and knew a lot of folks in the industry back here. Um, and it ticked a lot of boxes. And so I came over, I guess, in kind of July, August and just kind of boots on the ground started fishing around for locations. We didn't know if we were going to find one that was suitable, but it all, it all, we found this super cool heritage house um that had a commercial commercial zoning on it so we kind of said all right let's uh let's give it a go so we prepped the prepped the lease at the end of august and opened her up uh i think november 2nd wow that's amazing and yeah pretty quickly how things can move in a certain direction once something lines up like that so that's great to see it working for you guys and um also really cool that you're able to cater to those you know like you said skiers that care or people that are really spending a lot of time in boots, perhaps an audience that you already had, but now you're a little bit closer to them. So I'm sure that's been nice for them as well. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, I think with, with the amount of people on the escarpment that, that travel and go to Revy and places like Banff and, you know, there's a, just an absolute huge race community, whether it be kids or adults that, uh, that are already familiar with the brand. So it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't difficult in terms of brand awareness. There's a lot of visibility on on Pulse right now, and that's great. And I'm really thankful. And a lot of people seem to be pretty pretty happy. And uh, so once once we opened the doors, there was there was a lot of we've stolen some business from Revy from our Revelstoke store because we've had a, a good chunk of folks that were actually ready to travel out to Revy, and then they saw we were opening here. Um, so there's been a lot of positive feedback, but also a lot of thank yous from folks that are spending a lot of time here. Excellent. Well, congrats to you guys for making that happen. And uh, aside from maybe just the slightly different demographics, like you mentioned, getting away a little bit from the big mountain and now maybe catering to a lot more racers. um, What are some of the other maybe different or new approaches that you've taken in this shop or things that you've kind of had to do maybe a bit differently, just given that it is a new location and there's a lot of variables that might change some of what's going on uh it's obviously in uh in revy there's there's not a huge race community um most of the kids and the and kind of the in-betweeners are are definitely more on the kind of free ride camp side of things uh i spend a lot of time in europe and in france and italy and and spend a lot of time in that kind of race world or race kind of community so uh some of it's just kind of bringing that skill set to to Collingwood, and it's it's been fantastic. It's a uh, lot of lot of folks in you know mostly I guess what we'll cater cater to on the race side of things is the U14s and uh, or the U14s and up. Um, I'm pretty firm in the belief that at the U12 category, it should be it should be fun and and keep them on skis, and then U14 you start to start to get a little bit into the competitive side of things and then you're just moving up from there into U16 and FIS. Yeah, that's fair. And I guess from a inventory perspective, are you just finding yourself fitting a lot of race boots or have you guys started to stock some more race boots or how's that looking? Yeah, when we had our orders, well, we we, we were pretty confident that we were going to be opening up a new shop this year, but we didn't actually know where. Um, so we had orders put in for kind of a broad range um, of or a big kind of scope. So uh, we, there's no doubt that that the race, the race kind of market, definitely ticks up in kind of August and September before a lot of the camp. So we did miss out on a good chunk of that. But at the end of the day, you know, we put our hands up and kind of said we're we're boot agnostic in terms of the race side of stuff. There's a lot of coaches that you know will dictate you know what a kid should be in or shouldn't be in. More often than not, we just kind of put our hands up and say, I'm happy to work on it if the boot's right. But if the boot's wrong, we're going to put our hands up and say, I don't care what color it is, whether it's a a white boot, a gray boot, a blue boot. uh, If it's wrong, it's wrong. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like quite the reasonable approach there, (laughs) Kai. And so I guess quickly, I'm just curious to hear how the season has been going up there and how the snowfall has been. And I guess kind of 
stepping away from the big mountains, how has it looked for you? How's your skiing been this season? It's, uh, it's well, we Collingwood, we had a really slow start. Um, so things weren't looking very winter-like until about a week and a half ago. Uh, but it's picking up and it's looking good. Uh, I think in in on the escarpment, there's people on the hill regardless because there's race programs going on. There's there's things going on. So all of the clubs and and you know, both public and private, they did a really good job to kind of work with the limited amount of snow that's here or that was here. But I'm looking forward to it. You know, I I grew up here, so it's kind of like things have kind of come full circle. And I'm skiing on skinnier skis than I've ever skied on or skied on in, in, in a good long while since a drought season in, uh, in Chamonix. Um, it's, it's, and it's awesome. It's completely different from kind of what we're used to, but, but it's, you know, the, the family environment here is fantastic. And, and, you know, you open up the shop at 10 o'clock, you can, go for a couple of laps at 8.30 and you've already got kind of wind in your hair by 10 o'clock. So it's, it's, it's definitely different. My body could use uh, a year off <laughs> from heavy pounding. Um, and it's, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun kind of getting more back into the trenches and fitting more than I had in the past in terms of just kind of trying to run and grow the business this year. I'm, I'm back in the thick of it and, and, seems to be appreciated so uh it's yeah i was out with a couple of coaches this morning getting uh getting some video running some stubbies on on some slalom skis which is it's awesome it's it's a completely different sport yeah that's awesome and yeah it's really good to hear about you know things coming full circle and kind of having your homecoming and uh just being able to get back to the roots so good for you and making that all happen yeah and old friends and things so yeah it's it's good fun it is good fun Nice. I know Pulse was founded in 2015, and now you're on to three locations. I'd be curious to hear a bit about that timeline as far as how it's looked for you guys since the original founding, and maybe how you continue to think about future growth and some of the things you're thinking about down the line. Yeah, it's, I, 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 you know, on a pretty regular basis, I chuckle a little bit. I, you know, when I, when I started Pulse, I was working as a paramedic, and it was just supposed to be a hobby, kind of a hobby business. And then, and then, you know, I guess that's, that's how things, that's how things go. I've always been pretty analytical in terms of, you know, pinching pennies and startup and bootstrapping and, and watching the, the financial side of things. And that's, that's a fun part of business as well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a little bit whirlwind. I have to stop and take a breather. Well, I'm reminded to stop and take a breather sometimes. Sometimes I don't listen, but it's, you know, I think. I think at this point, you know, we're, there's been a lot of feedback from, from our clientele in terms of what are you doing next? What are you doing next? And we'd been trying for a number of years to, we know, we know that technology plays a role in, in the industry. You know, a lot of people kind of shy away from it or they don't want to accept it. But the reality is, is that embracing technology in such a way that if, you know, if you're prioritizing skiers and prioritizing skiing, then there's certain aspects that work and certain aspects that don't. And I think with me and the team that, that we have at Pulse, we're, we're always prioritizing skier and skiing. So it, it becomes easy to look at different verticals as well and kind of going, Hey, wait a minute. Why aren't, why aren't we looking at cycling? Why aren't we looking at golf? Why aren't we looking at, you know, racket, for example? So last year, uh, last year, yeah, March, March-ish. We'd been looking for a long time uh, for 3D print technology uh, that can complement the scanning that we're already doing. And for a long time, it was just a little bit out of reach, whether that was for financial reasons or print times or, or even the ability to kind of start prototyping without, you know, without incurring just massive amounts of, of time and resources. So uh, technology kind of got there. And we've been working a lot on uh, 3D print. We're not quite there for ski boot yet, but we will be next year. Uh, but for uh, cycle golf and racket, we spent a good chunk of last summer uh, prototyping, putting product in with cycling clubs and golf clubs and racket clubs. Um, we pretty much pretty much have it dialed. Some of the stuff's a little bit complicated in terms of 
uh, it gets pretty techy, but you know, you have to, you have to know the thickness and durometer of the stock insole out of a particular shoe in order to print and complement the fit of that shoe. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty much there. So there's going to be, that's going to be a good chunk of, of the summer is kind of looking into, into different verticals and, and working a lot on the 3D print side of things. Um, and, and we're able to hit it at a pretty reasonable price point. And the nice, the, the, well, nice, nice, nice for consumers and nice for us is that we're, you know, we've been working with the scanning uh, technology, which is producing kind of stunning results in terms of measurements and mapping. We're able, because we have a lot of these scans on file, or, you know, we have four years worth of scans that we can start addressing those consumers. And we know from the software that a lot of our consumers are, you know, golfers, for example, or bikers or runners, or, or they play tennis four times a week in the summer. So it's, it's pretty easy to find that connect and, and reach out and look at his interest in different verticals. Yeah, that's really interesting. And um, I think, I mean, Pulse has so many things that you do that are quite unique when it comes to integrating technology and also doing so in a way that's really kind of mindful and just natural evolution of things. And so I think it's really cool to see, you know, not just jumping on these big ideas, but really taking them in small steps so that by the time you're, you know, 3D printing insoles or whatever that may be, you have a lot of data and you've just kind of really worked organically into that next phase. So I think it's really cool to see that happening. Yeah, we didn't want to jump into it too quickly. We didn't want it to be, you know, all smoke and mirrors. We wanted the functionality side of it and the quality control side of it as well. So it was, I don't know, we've, we've, we've printed in the realm of 400, 450 test products. So we've been, we've been printing, (laughs) we've been printing a lot. Uh, And then it's, it's interesting as well, because you, you have, you know, different, different sports or different activities that, you know, you find your ideal durometer, your ideal fill. So certain Certain sports are going to be a little bit more uh, of a firm durometer or firmer, firmer product. Some of them are going to be a little bit more cushioned. Uh, but that's, that's kind of what's nice as well is you can actually have a chat with, with your consumer and figure out what their priorities are, whether it's, you know, high levels of support for better performance or if it's, if it's a little bit more cushioning. And then we can address that by fill rate in the insole. And for someone who might be having a hard time conceptualizing what this process actually looks like, do you mind just kind of walking us through like what does it mean to actually 3D print, whether it be an insole or maybe one of the other verticals that you're talking about as far as golf or something else, just what that process actually looks like and maybe even defining like what durometer means and what some of these things are that goes into this process. So uh, I think we're on to year four uh, using our 3D scanner. And 3D scanner takes basically a whole bunch of different photos, uh, photos of the foot. And basically, the software reconstructs the foot. So then you get what's called an STL file. And an STL file is basically just a graphic image. But then from that graphic image, the, the software can basically reverse engineer the foot. So that instead of having the foot, you're having the reverse of the foot. So all of a sudden, it becomes really important to have the foot in the right position when you're scanning it. Otherwise, otherwise the, the reverse model of the foot is going to be a little bit skewed. Um, but in saying that as well, we, you know, from day one with the scanner, we've always, we've always done our best to capture the image or capture the scan and what would be very close to, you know, quote unquote neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're doing isn't, isn't, we're not suggesting that, uh, we're creating medical devices. What we're doing is creating an alternative that provides a higher level of performance and a higher level of comfort uh, versus a stock insole that might come with a shoe. Mm-hmm. Cycling is a really good one. Cycling is awesome. Proper fit in the shoe. You have your three points of contact on a bike. So you're basically your handlebars, your saddle, and, uh, and crank set or pedals and shoes. And if you kind of get those three points of contact dialed in, uh, all of a sudden, the level of efficiency, you know, it skyrockets. You're turning, essentially, if you if you drop a laser, if you have someone on a stationary bike and put a laser on the center of knee mass or anywhere on the knee, what you'll generally find is that, that the knee moves elliptically or looks like a big oval. But all of a sudden, once you dial in the fit of the shoe, 
the knee starts tracking directly up and down. So the power is going directly into the, into the cleat. But also when, when you're seeing these elliptical or oval kind of movements, what's actually happening is you're stressing the, the inside and the outside of the medial and lateral side of the knee. So, uh, bike's a good one. Uh, golf's a good one as well. Um, we know that on the golf, I'm, I'm a world's worst golfer. Uh, but it's fun. It's, it's great. And I, I understand the, the mechanics of, of the swing. And we have a couple of guys on staff that are incredibly deep dive dork into, into golf mechanics as well. So in a golf kind of environment, you're, the general consensus is people are looking for a little bit more accuracy, uh, a little bit more distance. And that's either in the long game or the short game. But the thing they're looking for as well is consistency. So when you have a properly fitted shoe with a higher level of support inside the shoe, uh, all of a sudden you're ticking the boxes on all of those things. Because when you can picture the foot, and this holds true for skiing as well, picture the foot as almost like a, a table with three legs. And what we're trying to do with an orthotic or a footbed uh, or insole, however you want to term it, is basically provide a fourth leg to the, to the table. So once you provide a fourth leg to the table, you've created a solid foundation to the footwear. And if you create a solid foundation, you're not losing all of this energy in the collapsing and rolling of the foot. Uh, you can wind up and uncoil more effectively, but it also gives you a more solid platform. So, you know, there's, there's data that supports a better fitting shoe with a better insole, uh, contributes to all those things, whether it be distance, consistency, long game, short brain, short, short game or, or, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. And it's, it's nice as well because it's not just us kind of going, I don't know. I think this is good. And watching me swing a golf club, which is a pretty <laughs> sad sight. It's, you know, we're, we're putting these things in, in golf pros and, you know, people that are playing, you know, five, six, seven rounds of golf a week. So, and getting feedback from that end as well. So the beta testing has been kind of full circle. Yeah. I have to say that's pretty exciting. And, uh, I guess, I'm wondering, from your perspective, at kind of the height of this technology or when it's fully maybe integrated and you're feeling just really good about the systems and the different methods in place for getting these end products to the consumer, do you kind of have a dream of where this can go or maybe like the optimal way to be utilizing this, maybe specific to ski boots or to the ski industry in general? Uh, dreaming's dangerous. <laughs> Uh, but for skiing, it's actually a little bit, it's a little bit trickier because we're pretty, we, in, in terms of kind of our quality control, we're dropping, dropping the insole or the, the, the footbed into every shell that it's going into. And, you know, the narrower the shell, the more grinding there is to get it to lay flat inside of the boot. Uh, especially when you're kind of looking at race world and race category with a handmade product that is kind of traditionally the, the industry standard. Uh, it's very easy because you're just dropping it into the shell and then hitting it with the grinder, dropping it into the shell, hitting it with the grinder. With 3D, you don't have that opportunity because there's no cutting and grinding. And that's where the complication on the ski side of things gets. Uh, is So we've started to compile a database of basically every boot's footprint, uh, every boot, every model, every size. So then that, in that database, uh, if you know you're printing, for example, for uh, Pro Machine 27, it has basically the template of that boot so you can print 100% straight out of the gate and you're not dropping it into the shell and going, ah, shit, it's a little, it's two mil wide at the heel and then having to modify modify the file and then print again. So it's, we don't, we don't want to get into a situation where we're compromising how the insole sits in a ski boot for the sake of selling 3D footbeds. Yep. So at this point in time, we're still, that'll be a big part of the summer. and compiling that database will obviously start with with the brands and models and boots that we carry uh and then kind of branch out from there but it's you have to uh, that's the tricky thing with 3d for ski boot is is you know with a shoe there's a degree of kind of margin for error um but with a ski boot if it's too wide or too narrow and doesn't interface well with the shell you compromising functionality yeah, and I suppose having that database where you kind of have all the different footprints of boots configured and laid out might actually help you as a boot fitter too. I don't know if there's 
a way to think about that or actually how you're measuring that. But I'm just thinking of like, you have all the numbers of all the boots available and it might just be interesting to compare them in that way. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes it's not as, sometimes it's not as, as technical and math driven as you want. You know, you can cut out a piece of cardboard and start dropping the cardboard into the shell and then start making measurements <laughs> of the cardboard. Gotcha. So with, with the footprint, you're actually dealing in a, in a two dimension. So it's, it's not actually as hard and, uh, not all boots have, have a full boot board in them. Mm-hmm. If they did, it would be really easy because we just could use the boot boards as, as the, as the footprint for, for a particular shell. Um, so uh, it's going to be a lot of hit and miss over the next couple of months. Yeah, fair enough. But really cool to hear what you guys are doing and how you're kind of evolving that world and where you can take it. But I also find it really interesting how you've kind of already integrated it into these verticals such as golf and cycling that it's just really clear how these can help uh, in regards to performance and everything else. Yeah, and the amount of the amount of people that we get up on the on the footbed vacs kind of going, can I use these in my running shoes? Can I use these in my golf shoes? Can I use these in my tennis shoes? And we're like, no, absolutely not. Please don't. But we <laughs> but we can print you something that you can. Yeah, nice. That's awesome. Well, uh, it looks pretty. Co- it looks pretty cool in the window as well. Yeah, and people are, I'm sure, just like so intrigued by the process and just want to watch, just be spectators. <laughs> pretty much. Um. Well, on that note, what other maybe technologies or things that you're doing on the pulse side do you maybe want to mention or talk about um i know that's a big one and maybe the focal point for right now but of course anytime i talk to you kai i'm always curious to hear what you guys are up to and some of the ways that you're thinking about boot fitting and technology coming together yeah it's i i think you know a couple of years ago i had some ideas in terms of what we wanted to tweak on the liner side of things um made it a little bit difficult with covid and no traveling and and you know prototyping and and you know prototyping development and of, of a new product was pretty problematic um so we were back in italy in april with a couple of the guys from revy and throwing around some pretty cool ideas for uh liners coming up uh it doesn't replace what we've got but it kind of complements it in terms of you know, addressing, uh, you know, a lot of people's, a lot of people's notion, whether it's right or wrong, uh, a lot of people's notion of an injection liner is that it might not be the warmest thing in the world. And sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, but a lot of the time that, that cold isn't actually related to quality of the insulation because the polyurethane is an insulator. It's related to squeezing certain parts of the foot that shouldn't be squeezed. Um, so we looked at that and because we have, all the data and the measurements, we kind of tweaked the foam pockets here and there a little bit to, to accommodate for it. Um, and looked at some different materials. So we'll have, we'll have different options kind of moving forward with, with, uh, with another injection liner, which is, is I wish it could have done it a couple of years ago, but the world broke. So it didn't happen. It's nice seeing, seeing the prototypes in hand though. It's super nice. Fair enough. Yeah, that's exciting and give something uh, for people to think about. And of course, it's always good just to have, you know, more options out there because there's such a wide variety of needs when it comes to boot fitting. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's becoming more accepted. And I think that there's a lot of shops out there that that are, you know, and in Europe, we had, you know, different options, we could buy shell only and then pick the shell and then pick the most appropriate liner. North America, it's a little bit trickier because we don't have the options always to buy shell only. Um, but people and, and, you know, passionate skiers and people that are spending, you know, typically 25 plus days a year are starting to recognize that, that there are limitations in terms of what a manufacturer can do with a stock liner. And there's different levels of stock liner. And I know this topic has come up before, but there's, there's, there's good stock liners, there's even great stock liners, and there's horrible stock liners, but it's all relative to the fact that they're still stock liners. Aftermarket liners are always going to provide, you know, depending again on what, what the consumer is looking for, whether it be a comfort and warmth type of fit or a performance type of fit or a race type of fit, aftermarket liners can always help in the end goal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in just a moment, we might circle back to liners as a larger topic because it's kind of a big one these days. Um, But before we go there, I just want to hear maybe anything else that 
Pulse has going on or things on the radar, um, maybe things for the future that you want to highlight and uh, yeah, things that people should be looking out for when it comes to what you guys are doing over there. It, uh, we're, we're very cognizant of you know, not trying to grow the business too fast um, and never compromising quality. Uh, I always want people to walk into any Pulse location and know that they're getting what they would get in Revy or in Collingwood or in Banff. But with the growth of the bi- growth of, of the business, uh, we've you know we're all of a sudden compiling a really really strong team of individuals. It's it's not it's not about me. It's about the you know the sum of the holes, and that's that relates to the guys in Banff and the guys in Revy. They're doing an absolutely fantastic job. Um, and now we're at the point where we have a strong enough team. We, you know we're always looking at new locations and the next year. Next year, we're dabbling with uh, the notion of going south of the border. Um, we know that there's a lot of potential, and that's both in the east and in the west. And, and that's, again, based on, based on folks that are actually traveling to come see us in Revy and Banff. And we've had a number from, from uh, Collingwood as well, from some of the you know, elite-level race schools in Vermont to you know, people coming up from... from Montana and Idaho in the West. So people traveling from Quebec. So we're definitely turning into a bit of a destination. And when you start looking at, you start seeing this repetition of people traveling to you from a particular area, all of a sudden it, it gives you the data of, Hey, I think there's potential here. Yeah, fair enough. That's quite intriguing. And of course, people probably get a little excited hearing that. Um, so thanks for just teasing that a bit. But in the meantime, the good news is, you guys have some great locations for wonderful ski trips and ski destinations. So in the meantime, people can find a way to make it up, up north to travel. Yeah, no one seems to complain about going to Revelstoke. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't sound so bad. Um, well, maybe just transitioning a bit to the broader industry. I know you guys have what's going on in your world. And then there's the industry at large and some of the things that we're seeing, both with ski boots and just larger industry uh, trends. So given that you spend so much time with consumers and doing gear testing yourself and everything else, I'm curious to hear if you have any sort of industry trends or sort of hot topics out there that you're particularly intrigued by or any thoughts that you might have on some of the the new gear that's rolling out. Yeah, I guess everyone, you know, uh, everyone right now is is hot topic, I, I guess, is the all this BOA, BOA hype for for next year um so that that is you know uh, things have got to change once in a while and and my job is to be skeptical and so it's it's uh, and that's it's not my my place to jump on board uh with new concepts or with with the marketing side of it it's it's my job to uh be be a little bit skeptical and be a bit pessimistic. And I always approach kind of new product or new technology with a little bit of a, what's going to happen when things go wrong? Or what problem are we genuinely trying to solve? And, and, you know, I think it's exciting. People seem to be, seem to be, uh, jumping on board with the, with the BOA thing. I think if, I think in, you know, in reality, when you, when you look at the core of kind of boot fitting, when the most important thing is the shell, uh, it's important to it's important to remember that you know the clog of the boot goes up inside the collar of the boot, and we all know that the top two buckles on the collar are most important buckles in terms of determining the fit. So as you're tightening the collar, you're inherently tightening the clog, and as the collar tightens, uh, the clog, clog shape should complement the fit. So I think I think if you've got to use whether it be buckles or a BOA system or any type of closure system, if you've got to really crank down on the forefoot to get the boot snug, then I think I think uh, we'll find out we'll find out soon enough. But I think there's a degree of validity in in suggesting, hey, why are why are we now trying to come up with the solution to crank the forefoot of the boot when the fit of the boots is actually dictated by the collar? 
So this is this is one of the things that, you know, in, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, half the time, what we suggest to people is that buckles should be used to keep snow out of the boot and not change the shape of the boot. Um, so I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, closing systems and closure systems, whether it be boa or buckles or, or laces with pull strap, uh, they the whole notion remains the same that you shouldn't have to crank down on those things if the boot fits well. Yeah. Yeah. All super fair points. And I think, uh, you know, you have a different perspective You're as a retailer and someone who's just trying to deliver the best possible experience to the consumer. Um, I also think that you're hitting everything dead on as far as when it actually comes to what we're trying to generate from a well-fit ski boot, which is that whatever method we're using to close that boot shouldn't necessarily be obstructing or changing the shape of the lower boot itself. And so hopefully this, you know, for some people, the boa just might create like a better, more even pressure instead of a buckle that might clamp in a couple, you know, real. Yeah. And I think that's the goal and that's the the problem everyone's trying to solve. So hopefully, you know, I've seen some, some feedback from guys in Europe where they're already actually uh, using it in a, in a consumer environment and the feedback has been pretty good. So yeah, uh, it's, it's great. It, it, it's, it is innovation and it, and it does, show that that manufacturers are putting effort into try and find solutions that help the skier and uh you know we all know there's no big secret that that 90 percent of consumers out there are in boots that are ill-fitted or too big so well if this helps boots that are a little bit too big then so be it that's great that's that's awesome um and if you can close the boot without you know if you can close the front of the boot without creating as many pressure points then uh then great awesome yeah spare parts for me is a is a big one uh it's always it's always been a bit of a battle with new product getting spare parts in but usually you know you can retrofit a you can retrofit a buckle if need be i'm i'm i i want to make sure that you know spare parts for these things are available straight out of the gate i mucked around with a couple of them and it it doesn't seem like you can retrofit any other boa parts uh from a snowboard boot or from a cycling shoe so I think I hope I genuinely hope the manufacturers are are ready uh, to to support retailers and support the consumers that are buying into the the new technology that you know moving parts on a ski boot whether it be a walk motor whether it be a boa system whether it be a buckle moving parts are always susceptible to damage or breakage and I'm not suggesting you know anyone that suggests that these things are going to be bulletproof is it's plastic let's be realistic. So I, I, if anyone out there in the industry has any control over this, please, please support retailers as much as you can with, with spare parts. And I hope they're not needed, but if they are, then, uh, then we should be able to support the consumers. Yep. Yeah. All super fair points, Kai. And of course, when you hear just some of these kind of logical, uh, distinctions between what's going on, maybe it doesn't have to be as polarizing as certain people are making it. You know, we can kind of take it in strides and see how it goes. Um, You know, I know some people are pretty adverse to it right out of the gate. But of course, I'm always just intrigued by innovation and the different methods as to why these things are being done. Um, You know, closing boots in different ways isn't necessarily the worst thing. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Yeah, I I, I think so. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for your uh, input on that. And then aside from there, I mean, is there any other sort of industry trends or other things you've been noticing or seeing in in the shop that you maybe want to highlight before we maybe jump into some more boot fitting related topics no i think i think it's you know for us the the nicest thing and the greatest thing about growth is you know we'll always approach what we do from an educating consumers perspective and you know opening up new locations um we'll We'll always, you know, sit and work with people and, and take the time to explain our thought process and explain the rationale behind what we're doing. So people have a better understanding of things moving forward, you know, and that's, 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 you know, it's not exciting or innovative, but it's, uh, it's exciting in terms of our growth to be able to have more people up on the bench from potentially a different, you know, a different environment than Revelstoke and, it's uh it's awesome working with a lot more lot more race side of things this year and getting back into that and I've been eating a lot of plastic but um it's uh no it's 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 good I'm excited for next year when we have a full season 
uh, under our belt in Collingwood and, and use that as the benchmark and the gauge. Yeah. And of course, uh, when you're focused on the race side of things, you're doing a lot more grinding and a lot more planing, which is why Kai made that comment just now about eating plastic, because that ends up being what you're doing a lot of the time. Yeah, it's pretty much what color am I eating today? Yeah, exactly. Oh, look, it's yellow. Oh, look, it's blue. <laughs> yep. All the dust, all the boot dust. Good stuff. Nice. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be awesome to see how things continue to grow in Collingwood. And again, props to you guys for getting that whole whole store launched within the last half a year or so. It's been good. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> All right. Well, um, you know, I know in October, we had a whole episode about stance balancing and people were pretty interested by that episode. They especially appreciated how kind of nerdy we got in it. And so, um, you know, we got to give the people what they want. And so when it comes to, uh, you know, boot fitting topics, I know we've been talking a lot about aftermarket liners. And so I was curious if you kind of wanted to outline for people um, why liners are so important and why, like, maybe we shouldn't always just be focusing on the boot itself. I think there's so much um, pressure put into what boot we're getting in, but sometimes it's actually, uh, there's a lot hinging on the liner itself. So I know. Pulse has a really specific way about thinking about liners and centering them into some of what you're doing. And so I just wanted to kind of break into the topic of liners. Uh, I love the liner topic. I have this conversation on a pretty regular basis. Uh, so I think, I think the easiest way to, to, to think about a lot of this is, is consumers, boot fitters. When you're looking at a boot on the shelf, uh, I think everyone that's considering ski boots and whether it be, you know, a, a 399 category or an 899 category, uh, I'd love the industry to put a little bit more onus on having a look at the quality of the liner that comes out of the stock boot. Um, there are stock liners out there in $900 boots that are absolutely shocking. You look at it and it's a piece of vinyl. And if you cut it open, it's that multicolored carpet padding that, that, and and this is in a nine hundred dollar product and other liners, you know, feel you know, stick your hand down the Achilles, see if it's firm material, see if it's something that's gonna hold on to the foot. But when you look at a boot, for example, on a wall and you kind of go, Oh, I want that one because A, B, or C, pull out the liner and just have a look. And and quality it's what's nice about, you know, looking at liners is is quality speaks volumes. You don't have to know anything about boots to actually look at one liner versus another and go, wait a minute here. I'm looking at a big difference. So I, I think quality of stock liners, uh there's a range in there. You know, you have good good stock liners, but they're never gonna give you what an aftermarket liner does because the manufacturers are inherently trying to hit an average. So no such thing as an average foot. So the further you sit outside of an average, the less appropriate a stock liner is. Um, so that that would be the first. That would be the first one. Is have a look at the quality of the stock liner. Pull it out, touch it, feel it, squeeze it. Uh, you know, stick your hand down the back and see what's in there. Trying to trying to hold on to your foot. What anchors? What anchors are they trying to find with this with the stock liner? And I think I think a big one as well. And and this is this is not so much. I'd I'd happily have this argument with uh, this argument with anyone. When people are trying on boots, they think they're trying on a boot, and that's absolutely incorrect. They're trying on the stock liner. If you took, for example, I don't. There's no. Well, we can talk about. Let's talk about uh, Technica. Let's talk about Technica Nordica because they're both the same family. If you took, for example, a pro machine and took the stock liner out and you took a Mach 1 LV and took the stock liner out, you blindfold 99% of the population and put their feet in the shelves, they won't be able to tell the difference. They're both low volume. They're both high performance. They're both in the same weight category. Uh, feeling the difference only comes when you actually put the liner on. And that's that's something that people should be aware of is when they're trying on a boot, they're trying on the liner. And some people might like a cushier feel, some people might like a firmer feel. 
But uh, for the most part, none of those things address how the liner works after 15 days of skiing. It addresses how manufacturers think people want the boots to feel. So that in the shop, they feel great. And then the boots are purchased. And, and that's not taking anything away from the manufacturers. They have to do it that way. Uh, otherwise, you know, if you made very hard, obtrusive, high-performance liner and stuck it on all these boots, well, the anchors aren't going to line up and it's going to feel horrible for 90% of the population. So the manufacturers have a very difficult, difficult job of trying to find the balance of what's going to ski well and what's going to be, quote unquote, comfy in the store so the consumer feels confident about the purchase they're making. Um, so I, th I think that's those are two big ones, quality of stock liner. And when people are trying on boots, reality is uh, if you've got the category of shell right, in reality, you're trying on the liner, not the boot. Um, aftermarket liners, there's a lot of stuff out there. You know, you have injection liners from a few different companies. You have, uh, your heat moldable intuition category of liners. There's the, the zip fit liners. Uh, I, I, I'd say they all have their place. Um, and in reality, you know, we, we've started working a lot more with the intuition side of things because there's more touring, there's more, People that just want a replacement stock liner or there's more comfort and warmth type skiers versus performance type skiers. So it's aftermarket liners. There's no doubt they're always going to be a marked improvement on what comes with the boot for the most part. You know, we'll, we're, we'll say we're in the 95 percentile, but in saying that as well, aftermarket liners should never, ever, ever be used to fix the wrong boot. And we see a lot of that people, people and boot fitters, boot fitters, not, you know, it's not a regulated industry. So people can do whatever they want, but you know, they see the dollar sign in, in, uh, liner X, Y, Z, and then they try and fix the wrong boot with a very expensive liner, uh, liners. It has to be recognized and remembered that on, on the, the whole scheme of things, shell is always first, footbeds always second and textiles are always third. So. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't suggest that one, it's not the time of the place to have a liner kind of argument or say, this is good. This is great. We have a huge amount of success with, with our liner and we're looking forward to the new one that's coming out. But other shop have, have a great amount of success with, with zip fits, for example. Um, I think liners are also from a retailer's perspective, a little bit tricky. Um, you simply cannot cannot get good at an injection liner if you're making two or three a year. It, it's it's impossible. Um, there, there's just too many variables and too many things that can go wrong. Um, and that's the downside of an injection liner. They're it's they're hard to make. And the 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 industry standard is that you get a foam kit with every liner that arrives at the retailer's door at brick and mortar. And the material that goes into the liner, the polyurethane, it has a shelf life. So if they don't move through that inventory and it sits there over the summer, they're sitting on inventory with an expired foam kit. Uh, that's problematic. So we have a, we have a fresh foam policy where we order, you know, a thousand euro, a thousand liners at a time, but we'll only order 200 foam kits. So as that cycle, as those foam kits start to, to, uh, retire, or they hit the end of their shelf life, uh, we dispose of them appropriately and then have another cycle of foam coming in. So fresh foam is a big one there. You gotta be consumers should be, hey, what's the expiry date on that foam, please? <laughs> Before you make my liner. Um, so that's a big one. Uh there's liners out there called Zip Fit. Uh they work they work really well. They're they're the the story of Zip Fit is is uh is such that uh, Sven wanted to come up with something that was a little bit more user friendly than an injection liner. Uh, and that's where ZipFit was born. Uh, so they are, they are good. They're, 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 you can put material in and out in theory. Working with them as well is, is a little bit tricky. If you've ever got to take material out of those things, you, it's, uh, yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> it, 
how many times can you swear and throw something? It's much better uh, just so, to add than it is to take away. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, thermal liners, uh, definitely, you know, the upside for, you know, a comfort or, or a touring or a hybrid boot. If, if you're not looking to kind of up the performance level, they're, you know, definitely the warmest things out there by far and away. Uh, I don't know the actual math on it, but if I'm pretty sure if, if, I'm sure someone's done a study, but I, I'd be comfortable suggesting that they're five to 10 degrees warmer than everything else out there. So yeah, I, 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 I think there are things out there that are, that are good. There are things out there that are great. But at the end of the day, the fit of the boot comes from the shell first. And if the shell's wrong, you know, liners aren't going to fix it. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, all really good points. And as with all things boot fitting, there's a whole lot of variables that go into this conversation. So no one should be totally caught up in any one piece of this, given maybe what their unique scenario is. Um, Of course, there is that situation in which you know your shell has worked great for you and that liner is just packed out. I mean, that's always like maybe the really clear time that an aftermarket liner could potentially be the way to go. But for a lot of other, I mean, multitude of reasons why people might need an upgrade to their liner, we can't really get into that because there's just so much that could potentially be at play there, including being not in the right boot to begin with, in which case liners are not your problem. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, that, one of my favorite terms when talking about liners is we're about to get into a very circular discussion. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> we should probably end it there before we keep going. Um, nice, Kai. Well, thanks for breaking some of that down. And of course, you know, we've talked a lot about aftermarket liners on Blister. And obviously, Pulse is pretty centered on aftermarket liners as a great approach to getting a really great fit from their from ski boots. And so, um, yeah, it gives people something to think about. And uh, there's a lot more that could be said, of course, but it's all quite subjective. And circular. And circular. <laughs> all right, Kai. Well, once again, it was a pleasure speaking to you. You always have a whole lot of insight um, what's going on with ski boot fitting and all the new technology. And of course, it's really cool also just to hear how things are going on the ground over at the new Collingwood shop. And so thanks so much for sharing your time with us today and yeah, giving us a lot to think about when it comes to all of these boot fitting topics. It's awesome. It's always nice having a chat. All right. Thanks, Kai. Okay. We'll talk to you later. All right, everyone. Well, there you have it. Another thought provoking conversation with Kai. And that then brings me to this week's edition of what we are celebrating. And I am celebrating the many soft turns that I got to make over the course of January. Throughout my life, Januarys have been notoriously bad and really low snow, but this January was a bit different. From nonstop powder here in Crested Butte to being able to tail guide a trip with my partner Zach over in Hokkaido, Japan, it's kind of just been a blur of soft turns, which is pretty amazing and I am super grateful for that. All the snowpack means some good things for the summer ahead and it really gives us a lot to look forward to here in these mountain towns. And that concludes this week's episode of Gear 30. Thanks so much to Kai and the team at Pulse for doing all that you do and being an awesome blister recommended shop. Thanks, of course, to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And we will see you soon here in Crested Butte, J-Bob. Thanks to the blister team for being the best and getting this massive event together. It's going to be a lot of fun. And thanks, of course, to all of you for tuning in. Cheers.